You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. It's good to be with you this morning, Res. Um, the first time I remember hearing the gospel and responding to it, this is so awesome. I love that this is my story. It was at a puppet show. I heard the gospel from puppets, and it was amazing. It was the first time, that I, I'm sure I've heard it many other times before, that I heard it so clearly, and then my mentor Larry said, Sean, have you invited Jesus into your life? I said, no, and he showed me how to do that, showing me how to pray and invite Jesus into my life. Hearing the gospel from puppets was, is super cool, um, but the seed of the gospel had been planted long before in the lives of my parents growing up in that home seeing the way that my parents lived out their faith, getting to witness that firsthand. I learned from their teaching when I had asked questions and say, God, how is, or Dad, how is God three in one? What does that even mean? And he would labor that with me and talk about the great mystery of the Trinity. I remember asking my mom about prayer and, and watching them study the Bible together and pray together, and it so deeply impacted me and affected me. Seeing the way that they would invite strangers in our home, Seth, we had so many Christmases with people, we had no idea who they were, but they were like deployed away from families, and so Christmas, that we'd have a stranger, and that became like kind of normal, yeah, there's another, or dad's not here. There's these, all of these memories that we have of our family life that really shaped us so that when the gospel was articulated clearly, that one day in church with those puppets or whoever was, you know, no, they're real. Puppets are real. I shouldn't say that. There's kids in here. Um, whenever I heard the gospel for real articulated that way, I was already compelled and prepared to follow Jesus. It wasn't such an incredible leap at that point. I remember riding my bike while my dad jogged, and we would memorize the creed. I remember sitting under my dad's preaching for years and years and years, and even offering him a critique on sermons that I had heard before from him, and having these really wonderful conversations when we got home. Well, all of that formation um, was really necessary. Uh, when I went to college and I studied engineering, I was hit really hard by my colleagues uh, being, having to rationalize or make sense of my faith. A lot of them weren't Christians and they'd say, how can you believe this or that? Or some of them are other kinds of Christians picking on what I believe and say, hey, you need to explain this or that about what you believe. And each time that encounter happened, and I felt that hit, I would go back and study, I would find a mentor in the church, I would ask super tough questions, not being afraid, no one ever made me afraid to ask really crazy, out of the box questions, there's nothing off limits. But I remember each time going more deeply and deeply into the understanding of, the, of my faith, having like a reasonable, clear-headed view of what it is that Christians believe. That happened over and over again in my life. And friends, I can tell you, I still have so much to learn. This isn't like a big pat on the back for Sean. I, I've had a lot to learn and I still have so much to learn. But every time I've engaged my faith intellectually, with my head, with my brain, with my mind, I have found that it goes deeper and deeper still and it's more and more mysterious and more and more beautiful. There's nothing to hide there. And as I've chased down that thought life of growing up as a Christian, I've also seen in my life that God has bore fruit in other areas, that that intellectual understanding wasn't just head knowledge, but it was actually producing a kind of really robust understanding that I could kind of rest a little bit in, have a little bit more confidence in, and God was bringing this other fruit into my life to the point where now here I am, I thought I was going to be an engineer, but 
look what God has done in my life, bringing about the fruit, and now I get to serve you guys. It's a pretty crazy story, even speaking of it myself. Having been there and seen it myself, it's an incredible story. Um, even though I've had this really wonderful family, which I know is really rare, unfortunately, um, and this upbringing and the ways that God has matured me, um, the gospel has been repeatedly, over and over again, planted in my life anew. New aspects of it, maybe that I didn't see before. I thought so many times I've got it figured out, and I have realized later how wrong I was about so many things. That's why today, even standing before you, reading the scriptures and telling you what it means, I do this with a very humble heart. Like, look, I think this is my best guess of what this means, and I'm really leaning on the rest of the church and its traditions to help us bring about this meaning. But again and again, I've been challenged to grow up in my understanding and not to stay put with what I think I know. And every time I've opened myself up to new understanding, God has done a really amazing things and brought about fruit. I've seen this in your lives. It's not just me. I'm not a rare case. I've seen this in uh, the lives of res people, hearing the gospel again. For some of you coming into the liturgy, which is all about the story of the gospel, it's kind of hit you from a new angle. You've seen things freshly, and you've been able to respond in ways maybe that you hadn't been able to respond before with a deepened understanding because of the liturgy or because of catechism class. New questions, seeing new fruit, they go hand in hand. Just this week, someone from our church emailed me saying, hey, you know, um, I've been struggling with this one thing for a long time, and uh, I don't know what happened, but at some point along the way, I grew up in that way, and I don't struggle like that anymore. Going through the liturgy, being part of the rhythm of Reza's life, being a part of the ministry, receiving communion, praying, somewhere along the line, I just lost sight of it, and, and God rescued me from that sin, from that error. This is what it looks like in my life and in yours when the gospel is actually planted in someone's life, grows and matures, and actually produces fruit. The gospel, in other words, is not just a thing we say and hope we can persuade other people to believe as well. It's not just like a bumper sticker. It's not a set of information alone. But friends, listen, the gospel is, is a reality that we are inhabiting, that we enter into. It's a world, it's a way of seeing the world that Christ has made about for us in his own body and blood that actually changes our own real lives. It's not just for our head, but it actually flourishes the whole person. The gospel involves the whole of us. Well, St. Paul um, was so committed to this idea, he so understood the power of the gospel that he got thrown in jail for it. And St. Paul heard from another fellow minister, Epiphras, we heard it in the reading uh, from Colossians, the letter to the church in Colossae, where the gospel had been at work in that community. Let me, I want to read to you what he writes in verse 6. Just as it, the gospel, just as it, the gospel, is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. What took hold of a community kind of like this in Colossa was that God, uh, where that got Paul all like excited, got his prison chains rattling enough to write a letter to these people, was that the grace of God, the, the, the over-the-top, uncalled-for kindness of God on a people had been planted in a community 
And those people actually began to live out and bear the fruit of the gospel. It's not just that they heard it, but they also understood it. They comprehended. Oh, I get it. The grace of God. And the evidence of this in verse 8, Paul says, was this love in the spirit. It's this weird phrase that only shows up here. Paul talking about this kind of love of God. God's own love that he shared with these people. These folks didn't just hear it and stick it in their brains, but this community was now bearing fruit. It had worked its way through a whole person's life and a whole community's life. And it is for this reason. I'm going to read this part to you. In verse 9, Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled, listen, with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. But notice what Paul prays tirelessly for them to do next. That they would keep growing in their knowledge of God's will, in spiritual wisdom, and in understanding. God, or Paul had heard of their love in the spirit. He had heard that they had heard the gospel. He had heard amazing things about this church, most notably that special love in the spirit. And so what does he pray for them next to have and to do? Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Why? So that they could like be awarded degrees? No, that they would lead lives worthy of the Lord, lives that resemble the life of Jesus, in other words. Oh man, I know, I've heard you guys have heard the gospel. I've heard of the fruit that you have and this love and the spirit. Oh, I pray for you that you would so deeply understand this gospel that your lives would flourish. And then when the neighborhood looks at you all as a community, they would see the beauty of the life of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's what Paul's writing to them about. And Paul knows what this takes. He knows the law's command. We heard it in Deuteronomy. We heard it in the gospel reading today. This command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He hears, Paul hears that the gospel has gripped their heart and their soul and their strength. They're living this out in community. But it must also flourish in the mind. You guys tracking with me? The gospel has to actually grow up in your own intellect as well, in your mind. Maturing as a Christian involves intellectual growth. It's not enough to say, I've heard the gospel, I've become a Christian, I, I wanna follow Jesus, and I'm just gonna like stay here, nothing else to learn. Actually, if you got the gospel, you would not do that. In fact, you would say, this is amazing. This changes everything. I need to understand it. I need to understand it. I've got questions. This is what it means to continue to be saved, to continue to be sanctified and grown. And not leaving your mind off limits, not checking your brains at the door, but bringing those questions in, bringing that intellect in and engaging the gospel with your mind. Thinking carefully about God, who he is what that means about who he is. Practically, about what it means to love God and love your neighbor. The whole person has to grow in the gospel if they are to be led in 
doing every good work, as Paul wrote in verse 10, a life that resembles Christ. And when we look at the story of Jesus, when you look at how Jesus interacted with people, did he leave his intellect aside? No. Actually, what's really striking about the way that Jesus engaged the experts in the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, was that he like checkmated these people before they even asked a question. It seems like even with the lawyer who stood up and said, well, I got a question for you. Jesus was already two steps ahead and he understood if Jesus walked into a room, I've said this before, full of the world's best PhDs and experts in any field, if Jesus walked into that room, he would still be the most brilliant person in the room, intellectually, actually. He wasn't just some sort of like spiritual figure, some rabbi that really didn't know how life works. No, he got it. He was brilliant. So if our lives are to resemble his, we have to grow intellectually as well. The gospel has to be understood. It's so wonderful and it's actually a lot of fun to study the gospel, to study the mysteries of God, to question it, to examine it carefully. Without that, we expect people to hear the gospel in one ear and then live godly lives tomorrow. This would be like, hey, you want to learn how to fly a helicopter? Just go listen to an audio book on helicopters. You get it. Right? We kind of expect that with people. Hey, you want to learn to live like Christ? Just hear a sermon. Go listen to this podcast. You'll be okay. But that's not enough. We know it's not enough. Hearing sermons is great. But we still have to attend to godly wisdom in careful study thoughtful, careful study of scripture and prayer. You need those book groups. There's a ladies book group that's going on right now. It's awesome. You need that catechism class that Thomas is teaching. Hey, Thomas, where's Thomas at? There he is. Do you have openings in that class? Can we, you do? Okay, great. And we have coffee for him too. That's an awesome opportunity to say, Thomas, I don't get this about the creed or I don't get this about, I have, I have all these questions. Thomas would welcome you and he's awesome at it and it's super fun. That's why that's super helpful. We don't just do that to fill your calendar, but we're actually giving you opportunities to grow in your understanding of the faith. That's why we have discussion groups like, who is my neighbor that's coming up? We're talking about immigration. We have to actually intellectually engage these issues in the world with the gospel as Christians. Neglecting the mind in Christian growth makes the gospel to be some sort of religious fantasy that no one can really take seriously. And then we wonder why the world looking at us says, there's nothing here to take serious. Well, do we take it seriously? Do we think through it? Do we understand it? And there's huge, there's a, there's a lot at stake here. And I don't mean to put undue pressure on you guys, but so many people that I sit down with who say, I'm gonna walk away from the faith, the thing they're describing is not the faith. So often, I don't wanna be a Christian anymore and here's why. And often I'm saying, yeah, I wouldn't want to be a Christian if that was the faith either. And good news, that God doesn't even exist. Can I tell you about the God that does? They reject this thin knockoff. We have to be prepared to articulate the faith with intellectual engagement, with careful study and discernment. God's grace has helped us out in ways that we could not be helped on our own. God has revealed the gospel to us, shown this incredible light of godly wisdom on us and on our lives in the life of Jesus, so that by his grace, not by our degrees, not by how smart you think you are or you're not, no, but by the grace of God and his revelation to us, we can become competent, thoughtful, and understanding people of who Jesus is 
and what God's doing in the world. The wisdom of God is available to you. Why? Well, so that you can understand it, but also that you might bear fruit in your own life of the gospel, that it wouldn't stay here, but it would come out and be expressed in your real life in every situation, and that the world would see the way God does things is so different from the rest of the way the world does things. Our world starves for this kind of wisdom. An easy example, um, when I say the word immigration, immediately everybody in the room has opinions, right? Something to say about immigration. And even some of us are getting uncomfortable, like, what's he going to say? Am I going to disagree with him and have to leave this church? <laughs> Chill out, everybody, everybody relax. Um, what, my, what comes to mind when we say immigration are slogans, build the wall, don't build the wall. Everyone becomes immediately an expert on this issue, Right? So my, I know you guys, you, I see you all on Facebook, you're experts. And I don't mean that entirely joking. Actually, a lot of you have done a lot of thinking and a lot of careful research on this. Check this out. You have been intellectually formed on this topic already. You have an opinion. I want to ask you this. How much of that formation has come from the wisdom of God? How much of that formation has come because you have slaved over, uh, labored over prayer and scripture, looking for and discerning spiritual wisdom and understanding? How much of your opinion about immigration comes from you being with Jesus saying, Lord, how do we treat your children? Instead of Twitter or conversations with other people or our newsfeed. People have become fools on this topic, in the myriad of political ideologies and agendas, talk radio opinions. But friends, distinctly, Christians must set aside all of that stuff in favor of the wisdom of God. Christians are people who say, the world's going to make much ado about this. That's fine. Lord, where are you? I want to hear from you. Because I know that in you, Lord, you have wisdom to navigate this situation. Christians, they discern with the Lord his plan for real human beings and their lives. Not ideologies, not political affiliations, not loyalties. As Christians, our first loyalty and the first place we go for understanding and discernment is the Lord. We look over, look over the scriptures. We talk to our brothers and sisters. That's what that who, who's my neighbor thing is all about. So that you can get together with other Christians and discern, Lord, what are you doing here? This is so complex. I know it's complicated. But all the more reason to think carefully about this. Spend time studying, thinking, praying about this. So that we may not be like the Levite and uh, the priest who steps around the poor, the immigrants, as fools on their way to something else way more important with a rationalization in their head of why they needed to step around this person, I'm sure is probably a really good reason. Or their definition of a neighbor who, that kind of conveniently excluded this person. These were really bright people that stepped around this poor man. They were probably really wonderful, godly people and somehow they missed it. Friends, let's not be those fools. Let's spend the time to engage and discern the scriptures and the will of God. What does it mean in that situation, with immigration, with I could list every headline we have right now. It's nuts out there. What does it mean to love God and your neighbor in this world? In every situation that you find yourselves in. 
Christ followers do not expect the world to discern the will of God for them. We can't delegate that task or that responsibility. Christ followers do not expect to look to the world and to find what, according to Jesus, is good and right or justified. We look to the Lord. We know that in Him, there's all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. So we look to Him, our hope and our salvation, not just with our bodies and our souls, but also hope and salvation for our minds, that we can discern these complex issues. And as John 1 tells us, Jesus, this living word of God, his wisdom is flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't hard to find. He's not hidden. He's not inaccessible to any of you, but he has actually come very close. Moses in Deuteronomy taught, he had no idea probably what he was teaching at the time that it would point to this. But in Deuteronomy 30 verse 14, it says this, the word isn't somewhere else. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. What a prophetic statement from Moses pointing to the Christ who is the word of God coming among us, accomplishing the goodwill of God and making available to us God's own wisdom that we can employ and use in our own everyday life. This word, friends, you're now hearing from my voice. Christ, our hope and our salvation, even for our minds. You're now hearing this from my voice, but in a moment, this word will come for, we will come forward to consume at the altar in his body and blood. Not only in our minds and in our ears, but like Deuteronomy said, but also in our mouth. That his life ingested in ours would flourish and the gospel would save all of us, not only our bodies and our strength and our mind and our, our, our soul, but, but also our intellect and our understanding, that we would, the whole person of us and all of us in community, that we would grow in this word and resemble to the world the life of Jesus. This is why Anglicans are so adamant about real presence, because symbolic presence is not good enough. The world doesn't need a symbol of Christ. They need Christ. They, they really presently need him. So do you. And so when we come to this table and we are made living members, that real presence is now made and constituted in us as the church. And now we are here in South Austin as the real presence of Jesus. Now, can we have his mind? Can we understand and discern the way he does? Man, I hope that we can. Please take that seriously. Please take those opportunities to grow in that way. And as we come forward today, may that be your prayer. Lord, grow me and my mind and my understanding. Give me your wisdom, God, that I might discern my life and the world the way that Christ would. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.